0: MacWorld Podcast number fifty-five, October four, two thousand six. Sponsored by MyOB Small Business Management Software. MyOB helps you to mind your own business smarter. Welcome back to the MacWorld Podcast. This is MacWorld Editorial Director Jason Snell, filling in for another few weeks for MacWorld Podcast host Christopher Breen. The topic of this podcast is Wi-Fi, and my guest is Glenn Fleischman, a Wi-Fi expert and freelance writer who uh, writes for numerous publications, including Macworld, Tidbits, and the Seattle Times. And we're going to talk about Mac Wi-Fi security issues, as well as the future of Wi-Fi, faster versions of Wi-Fi, and how Wi-Fi and Apple's forthcoming ITV product might interact. Hi, Glenn. Hi, Jason. So you, you, uh, I believe you were one of our first, if not our first MacWorld podcast guests. So it's great to have you back.
1: Thank you. We we talked. Yeah, this, this first podcast was uh, about Bluetooth 2.0 plus EDR because that was um, that was very exciting at the time.
0: Hot, hot, hot. Well, I, I'm calling you now and in, in, in talking to you in, in your role as expert about all things Wi-Fi. And and if you'd like to give a plug, you you have an excellent website in which you give Wi-Fi networking news.
1: That's, and it's strangely called Wi-Fi Networking News because I Isn't that interesting? I like to be obvious. Yeah, Wi-FiNetNews.com, no hyphens. Yeah, it's a daily news reporting site and it's been great because, uh, when I started it about five years ago, I had no idea there would actually be enough news to report on daily and there's, <laughs> there's so many different areas. I know we're going to talk about a, like sort of Mac specific ones. There's so many different areas in which Wi-Fi and then broader issues of wireless data. There's every newspaper in the article, a country has an article about some kind of wireless data every day now, it seems
0: amazing. It's amazing how far we've come since uh, Apple employees were walking through the aisles at Macworld Expo with those first iBooks, which is the first I'd ever heard of, of Wi-Fi.
1: Yes, when it was exciting to walk around with a laptop and uh, you're holding an Eyesight camera in one hand and doing wireless iChat. But now, you know, it's integrated. It's much simpler.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the the two topics that I wanted to bring up um with you one one is, which we'll get to in a little bit is sort of the future of high-speed Wi-Fi and uh what how Apple's ITV may or may not be a part of that. But I wanted to start out with a topic that, you know, is sort of fraught with complication and there's been a big soap opera about it and I, you know, I want to make sure we don't go we don't descend too far down into the soap opera, but basically there were these guys um two guys um Mainer and Ellich, is that right? Yeah, John, uh, David Maynard and Johnny Elch. <clears throat> yeah, Maynard and Elch, right? Johnny Cash, as he's called, right? By I guess he calls himself. Um, <laughs> and me. and they were they were at a at a, a security conference and I guess didn't publicly demonstrate but sort of played back a, a videotape of them using uh, basically hacking into a MacBook um, via a, a a Wi-Fi connection. Is that the sort of simplistic description of that?
1: Yeah. And what's been confusing about the whole issue is that like, even that basic description, it's like, okay, how many provisos do we have about it? What, what, <laughs> you know, okay. So let I, I want to back up one second and say, so what, is the responsible way to report security flaws these days in an operating system or software? Like I think that's been one of the fundamental questions that's been shunted to the side and maybe part of the issue is, is typically these guys are security researchers. Maynard works for a firm called SecureWorks that's in the middle of going through a Big merger, and they do security reporting, work with corporations, and produce reports and such. And Johnny Elch just got out of um, uh, graduate school, and he he just got a job. I don't know for whom. But these guys are serious security researchers, and they've found a bunch of uh, flaws in the past. And typically, when you find a flaw, you report it to the company through some means they've made available to you, and there's a process. Now, I don't think there's as established a process um, unless you go through CERT, the uh, computer emergency response team that does a lot of – Coordination in the u s and actually worldwide on um, security flaws as they come out to prevent the information from coming out so that someone could exploit it before it 's patched so so that 's the backup is like if you 're a responsible security researcher, typically you contact the company first, give them whatever details you think are appropriate, and that can vary a lot from an entirely fully written program that would fully exploit some problem to like, Hey, you've got a problem in this part of the code and I'm not going to provide you information, but it's there and you guys figure it out because you're smart. And that's, that range is actually considered acceptable too. So uh, at the black hat conference where all these security presentations are made and the titles, a little tongue in cheek, of course, is are made, being made in the open at this conference. And sometimes there are uh, zero day exploits are shown, which mean that they could be exploited. The instant they're shown, they're sort of unpatched, um, easy to exploit things these two researchers presented what seemed to be an ambush on Apple. And, um, and I think that's been part of the controversy because they showed what appeared to be originally, or I should say they, they, the night before stated that they had a generic exploit against, uh, Macs, And it wasn't clear if it was Intel based or powerpc based or both. They later amended that statement and sort of said they'd never said it, even though it was on the record and, recorded. And then at the actual conference, they showed a a, a Mac with a third-party adapter being attacked in a very specific way, and they showed it on videotape. So that's kind of the the confusing lay of the land. I mean, that's (laughs) what they really showed. They got up and they showed a videotape uh, of a demo of a third-party adapter using a third-party driver on a MacBook being uh, hacked from a Dell computer.
0: And you could basically take it over via Wi-Fi, not connected to a network, and and magically bad things happened on the were able to happen. They were able to control the MacBook.
1: Well, of course, this oh. is well, this is where it gets funny, right? Is that's what they were originally claiming? <laughs> the demo showed a MacBook connected to an airport network or connected to a Wi-Fi network that was a network run by the Dell, so it could have been a malicious network to begin with. And then right. it showed just they didn't show them taking over the machine. It showed them running a few commands and like making a file appear and disappear on the desktop of the MacBook, and there's been um, some incredible, like uh, JFK shooter analysis of that videotape by a number of people on the internet who say yep. there's a lot of suspicious things, including the um, the MAC or the media access control address, which is the unique adapter address for any Ethernet or Wi-Fi adapter. You can see that in the demo and. The adapters that they appear to be using don 't match up with the right ranges that are that Apple controls, so there's some even some dubiousness about what the video was actually showing versus what they said it was showing
0: so what you watch is the finder goes back and to the left it's right, back, back and to, to the, the left, left. exactly uh, but so so i mean so the sh- the simple version here and, and i don 't know maybe there isn't i 'm striving for a simple version, uh, right. but there may not be one. The idea was. People were worried. Could this mean that Macs, certain models, all models, who knows, were fundamentally um, insecure in a way due to a Wi-Fi bug of some sort? I mean, that was the, thats the core fear yeah. here, Let, right? Yeah.
1: If you separate out what they what they showed and what they said they were going to show, what, as researchers, what they said they were going to show was, "Hey, we figured a, a generic way to attack." wireless adapters and find out their vulnerabilities without having to do all this sort of twiddly bits that you usually do to create, to find these kinds of weaknesses, which is a really powerful thing. So their conceptual framework was, we know how to find weaknesses better than anybody else now. And that's great. And actually that hasn't been disproven. This is a technique called fuzzing that I think existed before them, but they've refined and, that, and that's great. What they, what they, said generically was, and they said they'd found this on Windows, uh, on uh, uh, Wi-Fi adapters with drivers under Windows, was that there are ways in which a, com- a computer with a Wi-Fi adapter connected to no network could actually be hijacked, and, and the technical explanation in brief is just that it would accept um, that malformed frames would be accepted by the Wi-Fi adapter, and this would cause essentially driver problems, and it, what happens is, you know, when you're not connected to a network, your Wi-Fi adapter isn't just sitting there if it's turned on. As long as the adapter is turned on and you're not associated with the network, it's constantly listening and putting out little bits of information that help it know what's going on in the network environment around it. That's why when you pull down the airport menu, it shows you a list of all the network in the vicinity, even when you're not connected to a network. So what these guys were saying is using one of several tech or one of several ways to f- make a Wi-Fi adapter that's listening listen to the wrong kind of frame. They could actually. Um, for you know send the wrong information through, which would cause the driver to get overloaded and execute code and get perhaps root permission so so that is a general concept is also well understood and accepted um, and there's nothing there was nothing unreasonable about them stating that such a weakness could exist in Mac OS ten and Windows and linux anywhere that's that is a well believed statement because of how wi fi works
0: now the The issue was you know was this something that was first off something that th- was actually true. Um, because they they um, only seem to perform it in a canned sort of demo environment. right? And it was unclear whether it was a stock system. They were using this third-party Wi-Fi adapter, which adds another level of kind of bizarreness to it. Since there's a stock, there's Wi-Fi that comes with the MacBook, and they chose not to use it. And then their story has changed a little bit from, de- depending on who they talk to, they talk to a guy from the Washington Post. They've made some public pronouncements on mailing lists. And so the big question has been, you know, is this, real is this not real and if it is real what is it trying to tell us and and, and it seems to me that um, following the soap opera that they were never really that forthcoming with details, Uh, although they did they say that that was because they were trying to work on it behind the scenes or just because they wanted to be mysterious?
1: Well, this is where it gets confusing because there aren't many first-party statements from them about it. I think what happened is after the kerfuffle at Black Hat where Apple got really peeved because they found out about – I think the engineers at Apple, from my understanding, the timeline only heard from these researchers if you believe this part of the timeline – A day or two before Black Hat, Apple publicly says they only heard about the exploit at Black Hat. They later, Apple later, made SecureWorks, which is David Maynard's employer, clarify that the demonstration only showed a third-party adapter being hacked, and um, and it's funny. Like you could say their story changed. I was saying that for a while, and then I realized we haven't got any direct statements from them because I think David Maynard's employer wanted to avoid, like you know, bad reputation and lawsuits, and sort of has clamped down on what's being released. <clears throat> One of the two researchers were supposed to present uh, just a few days ago at a conference in San Diego called TorCon. It's another security uh, event. They were supposed to present what they said was the real information, you know, uh, and they were not allowed to present, or I should say. David Maynard's company did not allow him to present um, any evidence. So, I mean, here, so here's the part of the timeline that, that did happen is they uh, described this problem. They showed a third-party ha- hack using third-party wireless driver and adapter on a Mac. And then just a few weeks ago, Apple released three patches that do, in fact, patch the generic problem, um, or, or I should say the general problem of these malformed frames that could cause privilege escalation, as it's called. But Apple denies and has denied in very specific terms that the researchers or secure work provided them any specific information or really, in some cases, they've said any information whatsoever that led them to actually dig this up. They just had a bunch. Apple says we had a bunch of engineers. We set them loose on this and said, find any weaknesses. And if you do, we'll patch them. And that's what Apple said happened. So we're we're kind of in a match over who gets credit at this point.
0: So, so, so to back up uh, a little bit to the to the I don't know if, if it's the fifty thousand foot overview, oh, yeah, but know. at least it's like a <laughs> thousand foot overview. What, where where we end up is that Apple released uh, a software update for Wi-Fi that patches some security holes that they that they feel that they've found, but um, it's at, it's either unclear, <laughs> depending on who you ask, or or clear that it isn't. The same problem as the, what Maynard and Elch found, but right. so so. There's some some debate about whether um, perhaps they caused Apple to investigate Wi-Fi security and release a fix. But Apple seems to say this: the fixes that they that they're making are not addressing whatever um, Maynard and Elch claimed to have found. That's is I that, think that's exactly
1: right. Is that Apple would not have investigated this without this prod because Apple was unaware of these any specific problem in the drivers and they're always doing security testing and they get reports and there's a lot of interest in stress testing wifi and Apple's using commodity drivers um they're they're adapting code from FreeBSD so there's a lot of knowledge like you could say Apple has sort of this black box part that's kind of their secret sauce that's on top of all this open source and free software that they, uh, that they use. But uh, in the Wi-Fi side, there's actually quite a bit that's shared um, both on the chip and driver side with other systems. So it's not like there aren't attacks. And in fact, there was a major FreeBSD um, attack demonstrated last year that was patched. And Apple ostensibly had already patched that. from. And they even claim that Apple says that even the code they're using is a little different than the ones that were attacked anyway. But I think here's the fundamental point that's interesting. Um, I think this is why we're all so fast say this by the way is this was a really serious attack. This is one of the most severe attacks um, that had not yet been realized against Mac OS ten that I can think of in its entire history and of course it was a it 's a weak entry point it 's uh you know a driver from another party that 's integrated with hardware that provides a path to the outside
0: world but if well and imagine i mean if you think about it, imagine. You know, Wi Fi is turned on on every Mac, basically, that exists. And you think that when you're not connected to a network, you're. You know, really in a black box that you are secure, and in fact, this is the point of potentially of vulnerability. It's pretty scary,
1: right? And there was, you know, so the Apple's point was there was no exploit code out there. They're denying that Maynard Elch had any code that showed this or whatever. So let's let's just say that's Apple's statement, and it could be disproven if Maynard Elch are ever allowed to release stuff that shows that they had the information. So let's leave that aside. But so Apple says there's no exploit code. They found this preemptively, and they strengthened their system without anything being out there in the wild or demonstrated by researchers, as Apple says, um, to do it. But just imagine if Maynard Elge hadn't raised this particular issue, if Apple hadn't done it, and you had some really nefarious people, and they'd released code, you know, what you know it's called a zero-day exploit. They'd just push code out there with no advance notice, and suddenly anybody anywhere in the world who could download a piece of software could essentially gain root access to any Mac nearby them that had that was running the current version of, you know, 1039 or 1047. So I don't want to overstate it because we don't know how difficult it would have been to actually exploit those weaknesses that Apple just patched. It could have been, you know, it could have taken a year's worth of 50 people writing the code to make it happen. Who knows? Um, But the fact is Apple, you know, this was the, this is the most severe vulnerability I can think of that would allow uh, access without being attached to a Macintosh, like sitting at its keyboard that's that's ever existed for a Mac OS 10.
0: So, so yeah, pretty scary. Um, If, if, you know, as a potential, anyway, to be pretty scary. Right, and it's great so, that it
1: did, you know, so nothing happened. I mean, that's the, this is where you have to say, then you have to back up and say, some people complain about Apple's response to security vulnerabilities, and I think there's some justification to that at times. It depends on the particular vulnerability. Here's a case we have to say, okay, you know, you can argue all you want about how Apple responded to these guys, but within six weeks of either being presented with evidence, if you believe the researchers, some of their statements, or six weeks of being presented with nothing, Apple released significant patches that that overcome what was a what seems to be an unexploited vulnerability. So that actually seems like a pretty good response. Even if there's this issue now about credit for who reported it.
0: Right. So once they knew about it, they they seem to have gotten on the ball about it mm-hmm. pretty quickly. So so the short version now for, for a regular <laughs> person listening in who's not a security expert and not a not a Wi-Fi expert right. is um we, you know, you never know if there's some other vulnerability out there. But at the very least, if you haven't downloaded Apple's um, Airport security update, you ought to go out and do that.
1: Yeah, and it's you know, it's funny. Is there's three different ones, and that was confusing too. There's one for Power PCs running 10.3.9, um, so you have to be running that version or 10.4.7 of Tiger. Uh, there's one for Intel-based. Macintosh is running uh, uh, 10.4.7, and then there's one for, I believe it's Intel-based Macs that have third-party wireless adapters connected because Apple says there was actually a flaw in their interface that allowed other companies to develop um, drivers for that particular version of the operating system. So you, I mean basically you know as we know you go to secure you go to software update and you download it you install it reboots and, and that's it. This is another interesting part I have to say about um, Apple's approach to security updates too is even if somebody said oh my goodness here's a great way for me to exploit macs the window for them to exploit it becomes really small. Apple pushed out the updates. A lot of people automatically updated it. Anybody who's regularly connected with broadband is probably going to already have patched this or will very soon. So you get this very, very small window of when someone could potentially go and try to reverse engineer and figure out what the exploit was. And then, uh, and then that window closes really fast. So there's not enough people to actually attack that it makes sense.
0: And now a short break with a word from our sponsor. 1989, David Hasselhoff was dancing on the Berlin Wall, Michael Jordan was in search of his first title, and the brand new Macintosh SE had 4 megabytes of RAM. 1989 was also the year MYOB introduced its award-winning software for Mac small businesses. Seventeen years later, MYOB is still empowering small business owners to manage their customers, vendors, inventory payroll and of course their accounting to learn how myob can help your small business visit myob-us.com myob mind your own business smarter you're listening to the macworld podcast i'm talking to glenn fleischman um, wi-fi networking news uh, macworld contributor lots of other things glenn let's uh, shift gears a little bit and talk about the future of of Wi-Fi. Um, when Steve Jobs unveiled the ITV code name ITV um, a few weeks ago, not not the actual name. Not I its like name. as I <laughs> like to point out, it's really not its actual That's name. Right. Um, everybody at ITV in, in in Great Britain is like <laughs> on the edge right now. What? Call it BBC next time. Something like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
1: um,
0: so so Steve Jobs made a point of not ha- saying 802.11 wireless networking would be in this product, which is what we know as Wi-Fi or Airport. But he didn't mention any of those little letters that go on the end that tell you whether it's A or B or G or what, whatever. And and that's led to a little bit of a furor about. There's some speculation about what might be in there. Um, I thought this. I thought we really have come to a funny point because when I remember when Wi-Fi first came out, everybody was talking about how. Um, it really wasn't that fast compared to Ethernet. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, slower than Ethernet. And and all of a sudden, all the know it said, uh, made a really good point, which is, look, y- your connection to the Internet at home is always going to be the gating factor. Right. It's highly unlikely that some regular person at home is going to have an Internet connection that's going to be faster than their Wi-Fi connection. And and that's still true today, I think. But, but um What's gotten interesting is when you start talking about, okay, we're not talking about pulling data over the Internet. We're talking about having movies or music on a computer in your house and then wanting to play it on a TV in another room that all of a sudden um, – You know, people start to wonder if Wi-Fi has really got it. Now, does Airport Extreme 802.11g is that fast enough to stream video from? Let's say I've got an iTV theoretical iTV Mm -hmm. in my den, and I've got a I've got a Mac in my in my uh, office. Is 802.11g fast enough for that?
1: Well, it, okay, so I have to give you one of these um, non-answer answers, which is like yes and no. It's, <laughs> there's, there's fast enough and there's good enough with uh, networking. So fast enough is, is the raw bandwidth um, enough? And the answer is yes, absolutely. You know, 802.11g, Apple's selling the most bare bones version of 802.11g. They've got no proprietary extensions like a lot of other companies have layered on top to improve speed and other factors. So Apple's version is, it's 54 megabits per second of raw data, and in a real network, you usually see... <clears throat> excuse me, over short range, usually see about 20 to 30 megabits per second, somewhere in that range. That's plenty for, you know, H.264 compressed video, for MPEG-2, for all these different things. You could stream full motion, full screen, HD quality, you know, at least one stream with that kind of network. So that's the fast enough part. The good enough part is that video is highly susceptible to any kind of degradation, uh, just so, like voice, but even more so. So, you know, you're talking on a voice handset that's connected to a Wi-Fi network, which is a big new deal these days, too. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, if there's any delay in any of the packets or there's a network dropout for two seconds, well, you know, your voice conversation sounds terrible. and your video, you get this big black screen. Even with buffering, you might have that. So there's uh, there are companies that have created proprietary technology that overlays the airport extreme flavor of Wi-Fi and smooths out what it's called, um, well, what it's called is quality of service or QoS, which is a way to ensure that certain data packets are more important than every other. You know, so the animal farm thing, it's uh, all animals are created equal and some more equal than others. Well, all data is equal, except video and voice data is more equal than others. So you're downloading a giant file off the internet. Well, that's less important than keeping that streaming video thing going along. And so far, Apple doesn't have that technology embedded in Airport Extreme, and that's going to be one of the issues with... Uh, weather video would work over it, even though it has enough speed. So that's I, now I give my, you the yes and the no on that. I hope.
0: Well, and then I I need to microwave a burrito, and the whole thing goes to hell, right? Exactly. I mean, that, another issue with this is that you know you're relying <laughs> for a consumer application. I mean, this this happened to me. Um, we have a, a wireless uh, audio streamer in our living room, and and we were listening to some streaming internet radio, and my wife turned on the wi- microwave and said. Okay, the music just stopped. Something wrong with the <laughs> computer. And I, I sat there and I thought for a minute and I realized the microwave is going and that's probably sometimes that's enough.
1: A little scary, isn't it? Well, you know, this is the thing. My, uh, uh, water is a dipole molecule that vibrates, uh, two and a half or 2.4 billion times a second. Um, when you turn on a microwave oven, the, the microwave oven is switching at the same frequency that wifi works at, which always Baffles people because there are such different kinds of technology. Because a microwave oven, it's it's actually causing friction. It's making water molecules molecules um, rotate their magnetic poles really quickly, and that friction causes the food to heat up. But of course, that's sort of like junk noise to a Wi-Fi receiver. In fact, the 2.4 gigahertz band in which Wi-Fi and microwave ovens work, it's called the junk band. That's its informal name. And Wi-Fi, one of the great things about it, it's really resilient to interference of all kinds, but it also means there's tons of interference in that band. If you live in a semi-industrial part of a city, there could be people running these industrial sealers, these huge microwave sealers that seal equipment or make you know, plastic or whatever, and you will not be able to run a Wi-Fi network anywhere near there.
0: So... 802.11n is what I keep hearing about now, which is is the next generation of Wi-Fi. Conveniently um, what does that with get N. us? What is that? I, I, yeah, I don't really understand the lettering, and I don't think I want to know. It's don't frightening know. to me that it's uh, it's uh, as long as they're using actual letters that I learned in school, I'm okay. That's if we right. if we get to like 802.11pi, I'm going to run screaming. <laughs> um, so, what is 802.11n? When's it coming? And what does it get us?
1: Well, uh, N is, uh, is a next generation Wi-Fi standard. And so N is, the, it's a task group within a group at the IEEE standards body that makes these, it's a consensus driven engineering group and it's just as exciting as it sounds. There's lots of people (laughs) from different companies in academia and they get together and they hash out what these standards should look like so everyone can agree on them and then go back and build stuff based on them. And so Task Group N, uh, they were tasked about two years ago with, okay, Wi-Fi really isn't fast enough to be competitive with a wireline network. We need... Ethernet-like speeds out of Wi-Fi, especially as Ethernet gets faster and faster. With, you know, gigabit Ethernet, really typical these days, and Ethernet, gigabit Ethernet uh, switches, really inexpensive, Wi-Fi should be somewhere relative to that. And so they said, okay, we have the technology, we know what the approach and it's taken a long time to get here, but their goal is uh, a raw rate, this is, you know, with network overheads, so this is the kind of stated um, marketing rate of at least 150 megabits per second versus 54 for 802.11g. Now, here's the cool part. The, the real throughput should be over 100 megabits per second, or four to five times faster than what Airport Extreme can deliver on a good day today. Um, and, and even beyond that, that's the, like, the minimal lowest end version of 802.11n, which will come out, um, some versions of it we should talk about when it's coming out. That'll, that's sort of a long story, but we'll do a brief version. Um, some versions of 802.11n that will probably come out not until 2008 will have all these optional extras on it. They will run as fast as 600 megabits per second. Uh, raw speed with 200 to 300 megabits per second of real throughput, and that starts to get you up there where you're actually pretty close to gigabit Ethernet. And in an office like a graphic design office or an office that's doing large amounts of file transfer or network operations, uh, then wireless becomes a real alternative to a wired network with a lot more flexibility.
0: Unless you've got somebody running an industrial microwave sealant next door,
1: darn those industrial sealants! You gotta—they'll <laughs> be for that. So um, now the timeline. So this is the ugly part, right? You can actually go to the store right now and you can buy equipment that's labeled Draft N on it, meaning that it's based on a draft, a not a released version of this 802.11n standard. The fundamental problem is nobody agrees on the draft. It's a draft. It's not final. <clears throat> There's tons of disagreement. <laughs> There's fundamental disagreements. So um, back in uh, early this year, draft 1.0 was agreed on by this group as the basis to do additional work to achieve a final version. A lot of manufacturers, chip makers said, close enough. We're going to push equipment out because consumers are demanding this and we want to get it out in the market. So draft and gear is still pretty buggy. All the magazines that have reviewed it, you know, the sister publication PC World has done some extensive reviews of early draft end gear. And not only does it not have Mac drivers, we just start there, but it also uh, doesn't really interoperate well. You can't get two devices, even with the same chips from two different companies, and get them to work together as well as you'd like.
0: So basically you you would need to buy, and they won't even run on the Mac, but you would need to buy sort of like uh, two boxes from Linksys and connect them together in order to get it to work.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's, and so from, you know, basically from the Mac standpoint, this is a non-starter right now. And even if you're a Windows or Linux user, if there's Linux drivers, uh, you're, tied into what is now a very expensive technology that, and some of the the benefits of N, oh, I'm sorry, so N has speed, but it also has distance. It uses multiple antennas, an array of what's called multiple in, multiple out, or MIMO antennas, to achieve much greater range. And you can buy on the market today 802.11G gateways with MIMO antenna arrays attached that will achieve range that's far better than these draft N devices. So for like under a hundred dollars, you can buy a device, a gateway that works better than the two hundred and fifty dollar early, non-compatible, non-standard draft N gateway. So th- this does, has been very frustrating. Doesn't on that market. range
0: mean that we're going to have um, more interference problems when everybody's got eight N?
1: That is such a marvelous question because that would be the, thats the logical conclusion. And here's where the, here's where that turns out not to be so. Is that what MIMO does? Because it has multiple antennas, it can uh, reconcile reflection. This is a big issue with all wireless data is it bounces around against objects. So some of it passes through objects, some reflects when you have one antenna or even two, it's really hard to figure out what direction a signal came from and, and to differentiate between many signals with multiple antennas. And this technology approach, <coughs> excuse me, I beg your pardon, with this, uh, Uh, With multiple antennas in this technology approach, you can uh, more easily, uh, the device can more easily differentiate between many, many different signals. It's got more directionality, so it knows, like, hey, this signal bounced off this way. This other signal bounced off this way. Hey, that's the same signal, so I can now reconstruct the data that came from that. And that gets you more, um, what I'd say, discrimination among different networks in the same space. But it also gets you more range because distant and fainter signals can now be picked up and sorted out better.
0: Well, so, sounds good, but is this going to be a product that we see, um, you know, a final product next year sometime?
1: Oh, don't I wish. Well, were, the original projections were like late 2006 for a final standard, like last year were the predictions. At this point, we're looking at 2008 for the final standard being signed off by the whole IEEE standards body. What's uh, the good news, though, and this is where it ties in with Apple's codename, ITV project, is that it looks like by um, March of 2007, the task group responsible for this should have a uh, draft 2.0, a version that's basically pretty close to what everybody wants. And the Wi-Fi Alliance, which is actually a trade group that tests and certifies equipment as complying with these IEEE standards, everyone, you know, these different companies, including Apple, Intel, Microsoft, they're all voluntary members of the Wi-Fi Alliance. They submit their equipment for testing uh, to get the Wi-Fi seal on it. So the Wi-Fi Alliance is going to certify and test equipment based on this interim draft in March and they'll do that probably by the end of uh, spring of 2007. So uh and then they'll do another version a year later when the final version's approved, they'll do another certification for final end products as well and there's expected to be some only some slight differences at that point, probably the faster speeds being the big one. Now from Apple's standpoint, would ITV, you know, I know I forget you tell me this. When is uh, ITV supposed to ship? I hear a lot of different dates for it.
0: Well, All Apple has said is it's the first quarter, which means between January and March of 2007. So it could be as late as the last day in March, or it could be at Macworld Expo, and I think nobody really knows. I, if you had to make me guess, I would say that they will announce it, its real name, its feature set, you know, when it's going to be shipping at Macworld Expo, but it won't actually ship then. That would be my my best guess, but it's just a guess.
1: Well, that's, I mean, seeing that ties in, I think, directly with what the 802.11n schedule is, too, is Apple's uh, two major chip suppliers for Wi-Fi, uh, this and Broadcom, which make all the chips that go into all current Macs at this point. At Theros, they picked up, um, when the Intel-based Macs came up, they started to uh, use Ethereos chips as well as Broadcom, which they've been using since uh, 2003. So these two chip makers have, um, you know, they've got draft end products out in the market now, and they're actively, they're some of the biggest players in the standards process. And my, uh, if I had to make my like best educated guess is that ITV won't feature 802.11n unless it's at the very end of Apple's uh, projected time frame, because it's possible that there'll be too many unknowns about what, The um, this interim version, this real certified version of N is going to look like in spring of 2007. So if they put a chip in in January, it might actually not be upgradable in the way they want in March or June or September. So if Apple ships the ITV at the end of March, I would expect actually they would probably use an early generation but um, pretty compliant 802.11 N chip. If they ship it at Macworld, I think it's going to be 802.11G. It'll be Airport Extreme Squared or something where, because there is a way, they could go back and upgrade all of the existing Airport Extreme cards through firmware, uh, you know, download, and all the base stations to add better support for streaming video and audio. It wouldn't be perfect, but it would actually probably be enough for their purposes. It wouldn't well, let that,
0: you leads, do- that leads into my next question, which is, you know, so it's not a no-go to do ITV with 802.11G. 802.11G can handle what you throw at it.
1: I would say with upgrades of Apple's firmware for Airport Extreme, yes, because... Sort of uh, to
0: prioritize that video video exactly. and audio content.
1: Exactly. Because without that, then it's just going to be too erratic and people will be too unhappy. With that, I think you'd say one ITV on a network, not too far from everything else, you know, from the base station and from the computers that are streaming, if there's stuff streaming off computers um, or internet connection, then you're not going to be dissatisfied. Because there's, there's companies like uh, Ruckus and uh, Rotani and uh, there's several other firms, including the major um, Wi-Fi gateway makers like Linksys and Netgear, they all have some entertainment systems. They all have a little bit of proprietary secret sauce that makes their media stuff work, and it all works over 802.11G. So Apple's in a position to upgrade G, and there's actually good reasons why they should upgrade G, because it would um, help with uh, voice calls over a Wi-Fi network and some other things that are happening as well. You know, That's one thing I didn't mention, 802.11N, one of the reasons people are excited about it... Um, Two is not just that it's faster and could support streaming video and it'll go further, but it actually will make a lot more simultaneous voice calls possible over a Wi-Fi network because um, it's just going to give you that much more reliability and sort of space in which these tiny calls can be made with a greater assurance uh, without dropping out packets. So if Apple has any voice plans uh, for their networks, any calling options like an iPhone, perhaps that might also have Wi-Fi built in, which who knows if that would be the case, or even an iPod, then they may need this improvement to Airport Extreme just for that purpose.
0: Well, and when we look down down um, the future uh, in 802.11n, I mean, we, we've been focused on an ITV, like you said, on a network. But, you know, I think it, it's not unreasonable to suggest that in the future, people are going to want to put an ITV or some other box on every TV in their house, and if they've got two or three, at that point, you know, you don't want to have a TV system where if mom's watching something in the living room, um, nobody else can watch TV in the other rooms because the bandwidth's all taken up. That's That's not going to be acceptable.
1: And in an article in an upcoming Macworld magazine written by yours truly, I I have some numbers about that too, which is consumer electronics are actually a big expansion. You know, the ITV is like a funny hybrid. It's a little, it's an adapter. It's sort of a PC to consumer electronics adapter, you could call it, because it's going to be be a computer, but it's not going to do computer things. But it's got PC-like elements, and it's not going to be a CE thing, a consumer electronics thing, because it doesn't actually display anything. Well, like there's going to be DVD players and HD TV sets, and every kind of consumer electronics device you can think of is going to have 802.11n uh, embedded as just an option. It's going to cost you know five dollars for the chips in a couple of years, and so the research firm uh, ABI Research, uh, based out of New York, they estimate. Nearly 250 million devices will sell in 2011 that are consumer electronics devices with embedded Wi-Fi and about 90 plus percent of those will use N. And that's where part of the revolution is. Like that, there's gonna be an equal number of 802.11N and Wi-Fi adapters sold that are part of laptops and PCs in 2011 by their numbers. But, you know, when you start saying anything I go into Costco to buy and plug into my system is gonna have N in it and it might also have some other wireless standards we won't talk about right now but uh, but that's where the real revolution is going to happen then you don't need an ITV at that point
0: so my, you know I can buy a microwave oven at Costco and it'll have N in it but will it interfere with itself well maybe it that, would
1: coordinate like you could buy a microwave uh, oven with N and it would make sure it didn't walk over the rest of the network now that would be that would be cool
0: that would be something uh, Glenn, thanks for talking about all this Wi-Fi stuff. It's certainly um, enough to make your head spin. But I, you know, I'm certainly excited about the ITV, and I'm excited about getting um, uh, some improvements in, in Wi-Fi. And gone are the days when your wireless network is always going to be fast enough. Now, now we're in an exciting new world where it's just going to keep getting faster and faster, and it's pretty exciting.
1: Yeah, and I think you know, there's there's speed, there's distance, there's quality. But you know, I think one of the fundamental things that comes up for me all the time is people say, "My house is too big or too wonky." and I can't get one Wi-Fi gateway to cover the house, that's going to be part of what's exciting about the newer technology. It's like you'll plug in one gateway, it'll cover your whole house. You'll come plug in an ITV to stream your video, your consumer electronics devices will have Wi-Fi in it, and you just won't worry about it anymore. It's going to be like a dial tone.
0: I can't wait. Can't wait. Glenn, thanks a lot for your time. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, thanks for coming back to the podcast. Always pleasure. And that wraps up this edition of the Macworld Podcast, sponsored by MYOB Small Business Management Software. MYOB helps you to mind your own business smarter. Thanks for joining us. Thanks to our sponsor. And we'll see you again soon with another edition of the Macworld Podcast. Signing off, this is Jason Snell, Editorial Director at Macworld.